Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, but more importantly, we're very good friends. Isn't that right, Ben? Yeah, that's totally (laughs) accurate. Ben is recording from a brand new computer. Isn't that exciting? It's exciting for me. I don't know how exciting it is for everyone out there in listener land. Uh, my old setup was like a decade old and it was um, it was working, but there were times where I was scared that it wouldn't. And seeing as my entire livelihood depends on using this computer, it felt like it was my duty to be responsible and up- upgrade. Uh, and when I say decade old, like I try... I. I just been moving with the same Windows installation from one one setup to the next, and I tried to do it with this new one, and I moved from Intel to AMD, and it didn't like that. So now I'm like reinstalling all my apps, and this is really not that interesting. So I'm gonna stop talking about it. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I think it is very interesting. You're recording from a new computer. I'm recording from a new house. This is all all kinds of new things are happening on the unnamed automotive podcast world. That's true. Um, but you know where you know what else is new. Or maybe more or less the same, where you can find, where you can find our latest work. Ben, why don't you plug some of the publications that you've been recently writing for? Sure, you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Haggerty, at Driving Line, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, Driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, Car and Driver, and I've even been showing up on a couple of. Uh, Everyday Reviews uh, YouTube channel. So Everyday you see Reviews his... YouTube channels. Tell me more about this. Yeah, so I'm sure you've, you've, you've known of, uh, of a YouTuber named Brian Chow who does Everyday Reviews. Um, and every so often we catch up with each other on um, these events. So I think last time I was on um, the Genesis GV70 Electrified, he wanted to have me as sort of a guest host on his uh, episode. And uh, same thing for the Subaru Impreza. So... Just in case you missed my face, you can see you can see it there on those on those uh, on that channel. At but least. now with the actor strike, you're not going to be able to do that anymore, right? That's right, and the writing strike, so we're we're shutting it down. Pretty much just mute all the time now. Um, there's something I need to talk about from an episode from a couple of weeks ago. A correction that I need to make. We were I was talking about the Canyon Denali, and I was talking about it as though there were no Canyon Denalis in the past. That that was not true. <laughs> there was a Canyon Denali in the previous generation of the pickup. In fact, I've driven that pickup. It did not make an impression, <laughs> which I is why I, I when I was talking about it, I was just thinking because the new one is so much more than what that one was, even though it's not, you know, as I mentioned, exactly what i would want or even at the level of what you would get from the sierra the larger full-size version but that doesn't mean that it didn't exist so i'm correcting myself and i'm sorry to everyone out there i will try to be better better at this um i think that's fair there's so many uh canyons out there how would we know that this was also a denali i mean it's almost like it's my job to know but okay (laughs) i'll I'll cut you some 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 slack. We're all trying to get better, right? Yeah, I mean, especially and, now. <laughs> um, what are we talking about this week, Ben? You've got a you've got a pretty interesting car that no. may or may not have made an impression on you. No, I, I do not have an interesting car. I have a car that is hitting the market about four years too late, 
and everything about it kind of reminds you of that at every corner. Um, I'm specific. This can only be a compliance vehicle. It, you know what? It kind of is a compliance vehicle in the sense that it's a company that has been dragging its feet about building a very specific type of car, finally mm-hmm. doing it. But it's not a compliance vehicle in the sense that I think that if they would wanted to build a compliance car, and, and for those who aren't familiar, a compliance car is a vehicle that you sell in a certain market, usually a specific state, because there's a requirement that you sell this type of car or you can't sell any cars. And usually it's California. Uh, they were the pioneers of this kind of thing where they required a certain number of cars to be zero emission. So like electric vehicles, basically. And uh, companies like Fiat, they built cars like the Fiat 500E. Um, G- uh, GM built the Chevrolet Spark EV. These are like mm-hmm. really inexpensive, small, compact electric cars that weren't intended to generate profits, but they just needed to have them in the showroom so they could keep going. Mm-hmm. The vehicle I'm talking about this week is the 2023 Toyota BZ4X. It might say, That's the name? That's the name of the car? It is an awful name. It's just random consonants and a letter. Or sorry, a number. Uh, I've been told that there are going to be a whole family of BZs, like BZ6X and BZ8X, and it's going to relate to their size. This is the first one. It's about the size of a RAV4. I think that's so, a, that's a terrible weird. idea. Like, <laughs> Yeah, this is weird because if the names are the... Again, like this is like... I don't know. I keep thinking that if they're just going to include the same, you know, uh, alphanumeric parts of it, just dump them. Just call them the two, the three, the four, like all these other automakers. It's totally meaningless. You're right. The branding doesn't evoke anything. I know that um, a friend of mine, uh, incredible journalist named Abby Bassett, she started calling it the Busy Forks during her week with it because it was the only way she could, you know, remember the order of the letters that she was supposed to say. It's really a terrible name, but... Kind of moving beyond that, it might surprise you, Sammy. This is the first ever mainstream electric vehicle that Toyota has ever sold in North America. Well, they used to, they had a, a non mainstream, and it, it, is it a lame stream? No, it's not. A non mainstream offering. It was the Tesla, it was like, I think a Tesla powered Toyota RAV4 EV or yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I think they sold like less than 700 of them about a decade ago. Yeah. And there was another one that was more of like, remember there was one that used to tow its battery around? Oh, I, I think. absolutely do not remember that. <laughs> I think that's the case. But as you can tell, Toyota and EVs don't quite, full EVs don't quite mix um, that smoothly, right? No, like, at least in the past. It's super strange because everyone associates Toyota with hybrids. They've done so much work with hybrids and to a lesser extent plug-in hybrids because, again, they're not so into that. Uh, but as we talked about back in February, I think it was when I had the Mirai, the hydrogen car from Toyota, that's what they were focused on for so many years. They were like, you know what? Um, we think the future is going to be a hydrogen economy. We don't believe in battery-powered cars. And we think that internal combustion is going to play a larger role so we're we're focused on that. Now, regardless of what your politics are about that, regardless of how you predict the future is going to be, if everyone around you in the market is making electric vehicles, you kind of need to be doing that as well, or you're going to get left behind. And what I mean is you need to hedge your bets. If it does turn out that battery-powered vehicles are the future and you haven't done any development in that area, it's going to be a problem for you when yeah. when they are when they do become more mainstream than they already are. And if you look at their competition, I mean, Ford, Hyundai, BMW, these are all companies that for at least five years now have had a fleet of electric cars in the showroom, and those cars are only getting better. It's arguable that 
I mean, Hyundai is leading the pack, I think, yeah. from mainstream automakers. Ford is not far behind. BMW is doing great in the luxury space. And, you know, Audi is is kind of doing its best to keep up. But they're all participating. Even Volkswagen has electric vehicles now for the North American marketplace. And Toyota has sat on the sidelines until the 2023 model year. Yeah, this is uh, – th- they've really they've – really held back here but now they're they're trying to leverage some of their um their connections i guess with with subaru in particular i don't know if they're if the two automakers agreed to this project or not but there there's also a, a car called the subaru solterra which is a slightly worse version of the bz4x as far as i understand uh it doesn't have the same equipment it seems limited in terms of its equipment availability and uh, looks almost identical so but I, only comes with all-wheel drive compared to the BZ4X, which can come in, um, I think, front-wheel drive as well. No, I would say that for... rear-wheel drive. Or rear-wheel drive. I can't remember. No, it's, it it's front-wheel drive. So Why? I have no idea. That's an excellent question. <laughs> so um, I would say that when we're talking compliance cars, that the Solterra is a good example. Because Subaru does not have the money to build an EV on its own. And they also don't really plan to... I, I, I would be surprised if they plan to turn a profit off of the Solterra. It's a car that exists so that they can continue to operate um, in their traditional markets. And that's fine. Like, I get it. But what, but Toyota's situation is is very, very different from Subaru. Yeah, this is Toyota like, has all the money. Yeah. So when I get into a car like the BZ4X... The first thing, the the most lasting impression this vehicle made was that it is aggressively mediocre. This is what? this is an EV that aims right for the middle. It doesn't try to be better. It doesn't really make an effort to be innovative in any way. It's like if you want an electric car, this is one. You know, like this is we put electric motors and electric battery around uh, with with four wheels and a cockpit. Here you go. Pretty much. So. Getting down to brass tacks, like you mentioned, there's two versions of this vehicle, right? There's the mm-hmm. the front-wheel drive one, which I drove, and there's an all-wheel drive one. But there's not really a – you know how normally when you get a, a dual-motor all-wheel drive EV, you get a lot more performance? Yep. Not with the BZ4X. <laughs> what? So you're telling me that you can get the the – with one axle being powered, it's a certain number, and then when you put the another motor at the at the opposite axle, it you're is not a, doubling the it horsepower. It is a very very tiny increase. So the base model, front wheel drive models, mm-hmm. sorry, not base, but any of the front wheel drive models with the single motor, they make two hundred and one horsepower. If you get a second electric motor, it makes two hundred and fifteen horsepower. So any of the du- pretty much all the dual motor EVs around the same price and the the Toyota starts at like 42 I think and it goes up to about 50. Um the you can get 300 horsepower or more with a dual motor setup. So right off the bat Toyota is somewhat competitive in terms of horsepower for the the base, but if yeah. you're spending more money you're really not going to reach the same heights as the the other car companies out there that are building similar vehicles. And I mean there's there's also worth pointing out that this is platform shared with with Subaru and a Lexus product as well. Yeah, the Lexus product is the RZ, right? Have you driven that? Yeah. I did drive it briefly in Europe, um, and its dual motor model has a combined 313 horsepower or something like that. So that's a, that's I mean that's a huge difference, right? And I, and yeah. I don't really understand 
why the Toyota model has been hobbled so much. Is it, do you think, to ensure that there are more sales of the the Lexus? Like, that seems kind of yeah. like a backwards way to do it. No, I definitely do. Because after looking at the photos of the BZ4X, especially the cockpit um, and the technology in the vehicle, and comparing them to the, to the Lexus version of it, they're really, it looks like they actually tried with one car and the other <laughs> one, they just... Like, honestly, they, they left it to an intern or something. Well, so get, getting kind of back to that, we didn't really try all that hard part. The the battery size, it's so it's odd. In Europe, they were advertising the battery at 71 kilowatt hours. Okay. Uh, something around there. Yeah. In North America, I believe it's like 62 kilowatt hours. Excuse me? Okay. Weird. And then what happened was there's this Norwegian website that is, does a lot of EV testing. I believe they're Norwegian. Um, uh, shout out to uh, Tobias, longtime Norwegian uh, listener of the show and friend of ours. Uh, he he actually sees quite a few interesting uh, electric vehicles in Norway because of um, the way the tax laws are structured for mm-hmm. getting those vehicles on the road. It's a lot more affordable. Anyway, getting back to the, the testing, they did some testing that revealed that Toyota wasn't being truthful about the size of the battery because they, they have a test where they drain the battery to zero. And then they fill it back up again and they know exactly how many kilowatts it is and how long it takes. And they were not be, being able to match what Toyota was advertising. And so were they saying that the 62 kilowatt hour battery that they were advertising was too little or too No, they were saying much? that 71 wasn't, wasn't accurate. It was not okay. reaching that. And so what Toyota told them was that there's like an 8% reserve in the battery. Mm -hmm. So when you see zero kilometers or miles left on the battery, you actually have like 8% left, but you can't, there's no actual way to see that until that happens. So it's like a weird reserve protected area. So people don't get standard, but no stranded, sorry, but no one knows about it. Um, Okay. Can we talk about that really, really quickly? A lot of automakers have like a reserve. There's a difference between the net and the gross battery capacity um, and what's usable battery capacity. I don't think it's that big of a difference, though. And also, why would you advertise it if, if it's not available? Like, yeah, if it's odd. not useful. But things are, we're, we're, you know how I was saying that like things are not super impressive even when you pay for more, for more motors? Um, <laughs> there's a lot, there's, there's another area where paying for the extra motor actually gets you a lot less than what you would get from a competitor. And that's when it comes to charging speeds. So... Toyota has become, I would say that the 8% reserve that they have, it's also an insurance policy to keep batteries from being damaged by being run all the way down. Toyota has, I think, become very conservative about the battery life in the BZ4X. And you can see that in the charging curve for the vehicle. Uh, If you get the front-wheel drive model, you can charge at 150 kilowatts, which is about... 100 kilowatts less than what you're going to see with a uh, comparable Hyundai. And I believe also um, it's it's on par with like the Mach-E, um, but it's, it's, it's not state of the art. It's like the Mach-E is an older design now. It's been out for a while and Toyota's just came out in for 2023 and yet it's kind of this older charging standard but things get even worse if you get the all-wheel drive model with the two motors, the maximum charge speed drops to 100 kilowatt hour, kilowatts. Ooh. That's not very fast. It's not I very mean, fast at all. You're, you're, it's, not, it's not like first gen, like DC fast charging, but it's not like modern. No, it's not modern. And it's like a third of what the the hypothetical max is on most of the leaders Charger. in the segment, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So that's, I don't get it. I don't understand that. I paid more for the all wheel drive system. I paid more for the extra power. I'm not getting the power. 
and I'm mm-hmm. not getting the I'm suddenly not getting charging speed. It, you're yeah. you're paying more to get less. That seems crazy to me. That does seem crazy. I really do. I agree with you. That's not the the approach. I also I, I'm very curious as to how you feel about this um, mentality, where you go. I guess it's Toyota's reputation of being um, a reliability leader or a benchmark in terms of automotive reliability. And they're just super conscious about the most expensive part of their vehicle being the battery, just having a potential um, like a degradation issue. Yeah, it's weird because they didn't really put any effort into this vehicle anywhere else. (laughs) So it's like they want to make a good impression with reliability, but but no other aspect of the car matters. (laughs) Like that seems odd to me. Like if you're looking at vehicles that cost around 42 grand and are electric, pretty much the only the most comparable vehicle is like the Chevy Bolt. It's it's cheaper. It's like, Which is getting phased out. It's getting phased out, but you can get one for under 30 grand. It charges at like 55 kilowatts, but it has roughly the same horsepower, if not more, yeah. than than the than the uh, Toyota. And it has the same range, but again, it's like five, six grand, uh, uh, sorry, not five or six grand cheaper, like $15,000 cheaper. Oh my God. It's like, you can <laughs> yeah. get like a $27,000 Bolt that'll do the yeah. same range as a $42,000 Toyota. That's not a great look. And the Bolt is a is an even older design than the Mach-E, you know? So yeah. you can tell so where that I'm... Where are we I'm, going with this? Well, yeah. I, one more thing to talk about with the electric drivetrain is range. Yeah. The front-wheel drive gets 252 miles, but mm. the, uh, rear, the, the all-wheel drive one drops to 222 miles. Um, not very, not very much. No, not very much. And uh, again, not super different from some of its rivals, but in the real world... The issue that I had was any activation. So I drove this thing down to Ticonderoga, New York. It's about 140, 130 mile drive, or at least that's how far it took me to the charger that I wanted to charge at. And then there was another 15 miles into the town itself. Okay. So this is Hudson Valley style. There's a, it's, it's not super flat, but it's not super hilly. Um, it was a hot day, very humid. And I had the air conditioning on. If you have the air conditioning on at in, in any way, Inside the vehicle, you're losing like 15 to 20 miles right off the bat, like in terms of predicted range. That's crazy. So but I think that's standard for some other vehicles. Uh, but that level of difference immediately. And I mean, like if you just have it on low, low level, like okay. it, it automatically slices that off your range. So that was kind of off-putting. Um, the other thing that's weird about this car is there's no battery charge meter inside of it. There's a bar graph on the right side of the the tiny gauge cluster, which we will get to, on the in front of the driver that functions like a fuel gauge that's just like it illuminates and it goes up and down depending on how much electricity you have. That makes sense to me. It's like a fuel gauge. It just looks like a fuel gauge, but not a range gauge. No, the range is underneath in, in terms of okay. numbers. But what you don't have is a percentage anywhere inside the car. And when you get, when I got to the station to charge, I plug it in and a little icon pops up on the gauge cluster. And again, it's just a different bar graph. Now it's horizontal instead of vertical. There's Oh, good. There, Thank you. That clears no... up so much, Toyota. <laughs> like, who thought that through? Look, they need more information about the battery. Well, why don't we just rotate the bar graph? There's... You know what? Maybe I'm an idiot and there's a way to see it, but the infotainment system is very basic. And I think I, I looked everywhere. I could not find anything that showed me like charging details. I couldn't. It, the car does not tell you how fast it's being charged, like how many kilowatts are, are being put into it. And it doesn't tell you the state of the battery other than this visual representation. Now, 
This might seem like a strange quibble, but when you charge in public, you only charge to 80% because once you get to 80% on an electric vehicle, the charging speeds drop dramatically because the charger software inside the vehicle itself is protecting the battery from overheating and it lowers the amount of energy going into it. So it's not uh, hyperbolic to say that the first, like I went, when I got to the charger, it started at um, 42% or something like that. So I went from 42% charge to 80% charge in 23 minutes. But if I wanted to charge to 100%, I would have had to add another 35 minutes on top of that. So that last little 20% could take a really long time. If oh God. I had to go outside and walk, look at the charging uh, station itself, because that's the only place that told me what percentage the battery was at. <laughs> Clearly, the car is communicating with the charging station and telling but it. But not you. Yeah, but not me as as the owner and driver of the vehicle. That was really frustrating. If anyone from Toyota is listening to this and is and I'm an idiot and I couldn't find the thing, please tell me and I will, you know, mea culpa about it. But I should be able to find that. More to the point, I shouldn't have to find that. It should pop up immediately when I'm charging the car. This is Yeah, it it's, should be in your face constantly. It's not just a nice-to-have thing. This is something you need to have when you're charging in public. Okay. So that's disappointing. Like I said, it, they do they just think that – what's the word I'm looking for? I have range remaining on my gas cards. You know what I mean? No, it like, shows you range remaining. Oh, sorry. It doesn't show you the state of charge of the battery. The state of charge. Which is crucial so, yeah. for public charging. Absolutely. Because what happens when you hit 80%, right? It, it just dies. And I wouldn't even know it was dying because inside the vehicle, I have no charge speed. It's not telling me. I would have to get out. So, the, like, the charge speed is not talking to you either. But it's it's showing what? me on the on the charger. So let's say it was raining. I would have to stand outside or at least Stare at it, get yeah. in and out of the vehicle. And if it's at nighttime, that's not safe. You no, know? You... Anyway. I hate that. I hate that. I actually really dislike that. Do you think it's meant to be operated with an app or something? No, not, not to but my knowledge. But then you still wouldn't be able to use it in the car while driving. No. And, and I mean, anyway, I don't even want to start talking about apps and and charging <laughs> and being in an area with no reception because reception, we've, we've had yeah. some listeners write in or about that problem in the past. Um, I've had that issue as well. I'm, yeah. I'm bringing this up because all of these things that I've said so far really don't paint a positive picture about how much effort Toyota put into this vehicle. And I'm just going to keep going along that track because the driving experience itself is perfectly fine. Like... It has enough instant on torque where it feels lively around town. If you're on the highway and you're trying to pass, it's it's not great. Like, it's very mm-hmm. mediocre, again. But it's not bad. There's nothing about the handling that's, you know, bad in any way. It's pretty quiet inside at highway speeds. But the inside of the vehicle is so plain and uninteresting. I had, like, I believe an XLE trim. Uh, let me double check on that. I have the information here. Sorry, an LE. Uh, I know okay. there's, there's a couple of trims above that. But... It was just, everything is very plain. There's not really any detail. Uh, there's a, kind of a weird fabric upholstery on the dashboard, which is feels like it's going to be difficult to clean. But the thing I like the least about the interior is that there's a single screen for the, there's like a gauge cluster, a digital gauge cluster that's pushed all the way to the front of the vehicle right under the windshield. And it's very small. So you can only see certain amounts of information on the screen at, at a time. Mm-hmm. I had it set to just show me the trip computer, basically. And I also had the adaptive cruise control on. So while you're driving in this setup, 
if a vehicle passes you and it's going to pass you because I was driving 65 miles an hour because <laughs> I wanted to maximize range on this road trip I was on. Um, a vehicle passes you eventually, like once it gets beside you, you get a flash on the screen where the screen you, you were viewing gets taken over and it shows you Oop, there's a vehicle beside you. And then it flashes again to let you know it's sitting in front of you. And then it disappears and shows you the screen you were looking at before. And it does this very quickly to the point where the first few times it happened, I thought the screen was just flickering and I would catch it out of the corner of my eye and I didn't know what it was. And I had to really pay attention to figure out what was happening. And then I realized that on most vehicles, you have this feature where Adaptive Cruise shows you the traffic around you, mm-hmm, but the mm-hmm. screen is large enough that this is happening in the middle of the screen and everything else is hap- that you already have programmed to see is happening around it. But Toyota has cheaped out on the screen to the point where there's not enough real estate to show you everything you need to see at one time. So it's just flashing stuff at random. What? That sounds so distracting. It's very distracting. And the only th- – and the other and thing – And confusing. It, like just – And the screen is so far away from you. I can't stress enough. It's right at the edge of the windshield. And then I realized this was another cost-saving mechanism because by putting the screen there, they don't have to put a head-up display. I see. It's because okay. it's right in the line of sight with where your vision is meeting the road. And that's why it's so tiny and so far away. And it's like I look at every single other EV that has a way more functional gauge cluster. And I'm just like, why? Why is it like this? It doesn't look good and it's not functional and it's actually impeding my driving experience. And it's all of this stuff comes together to show how little effort Toyota really put into this vehicle. That's really disappointing. So we've got we've got fairly average range. We've got a completely um, opaque, I think, EV experience. They want to keep the EV information away from the driver, it seems. Um, and then you've got this really cumbersome in-car experience. Is there anything redeeming about this vehicle? This vehicle is good enough. This is really a vehicle where you could get into it and drive it around. If you lived in the city... And you did most of your driving around town. You'd be like, yeah, it's fine, you know. But the problem with that attitude is it's it's priced like it's more than that. Like I mentioned, the Bolt, another vehicle that is – not another vehicle, but a vehicle that is very affordable, that is electric. It has similar range and charges slower, yes. But in terms of interior fit and finish and features and whatnot, you can actually get Super Cruise on the Bolt. Like let's, let's not yeah. forget that. So – that that vehicle exists, okay? And it's like, you know, twelve to fifteen thousand dollars cheaper than the Toyota. The other thing about the Bolt is it qualifies for federal tax credits. The Toyota doesn't anymore. Toyota has run out of tax credits. So oh, yes. All these Hyundai's, GM, Chevrolet's, um, whatever, Fords, they can all get a $7,500 tax credit. For Toyota, they only get 25% of that credit, I think, which makes it like $1,300 or $1,800, something around along those range. And I'm not sure how much longer that lasts. That might only last until October, and then they're completely out. So this is a vehicle that... Yeah, it's priced at 42000 but you can't compare it to another vehicle that's also priced at 42000 that has the discount. So again, it's not competitively priced. It doesn't make an effort inside. It doesn't make an effort when it comes to the drivetrain. And mm-hmm. it, it really, I can't think of a reason why I would recommend this vehicle to anyone. Like I can't, th- there's nothing about it that's absolutely horrendous. But again, there's nothing about it where I would say, you know what, this is a good option. It should be on your list to drive if you're considering an electric crossover. The worst part is that they didn't, you know, I, I think about other automakers that have had to 
um, phone it in with their EVs. I don't know about phone it in, but they have a limited budget and a limited um, concept of, of what they want out of their EV. Primarily, I'm thinking about Mazda. Mazda made this EV with a, with, with a really low range, but it looks like they did a lot. They had a lot more fun with other aspects of the vehicle in terms of design or interior um, you know, styling. This seems to have zero, you know, sort of consumer appeal other than it has a Toyota badge on the front and that's it. No, that's that's very much uh, a good way to put it. Uh, zero that's consumer really appeal. It's, it, it, it fills – this is a vehicle that fills a white space in a showroom. And again, I think it – I don't think it's a compliance car, but I do think it's a car that Toyota is selling reluctantly. Yeah, we've thought about this. We've thought about cars that I think – I think the EVs cost a lot of uh, – cost the automakers a lot of money to make. They need to make money on them. I don't think they are. And, and as a result, I think they don't want people to buy these things. And even beyond that, the internal politics at Toyota are so oriented mm-hmm. against battery electric vehicles. Yes. So to me, I think EVs currently at the automaker level only make sense on the on the luxury end where they can charge a huge premium um, for for the the EV experience, and they really don't have to do much to to justify the premium, other than saying, "Oh, it's got a BMW badge or Mercedes badge, and it's got a bajillion extra screens and sensors on it, so it's high tech and cool." And now, and that's it. And and if you look at, and I I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but some stuff I've seen recently is showing that on the market, the average transaction price for EVs has dropped by about ten thousand dollars compared to this time last year, and okay. that's because a lot of these, uh, a lot of the people who wanted a, a luxurious long range electric vehicle have one now. And okay. so the people who are the next, you know, frontier for these car companies is to target people who don't necessarily want to pay a ton of money, but do want an electric vehicle. And if Toyota, if this is their answer to that, you know, I'm not asking them to make a luxurious model, but I am asking them to do the bare minimum. And it kind of feels yeah. like they are reluctantly doing the bare minimum. Also, I just did a little bit of research. If you want to find the state of charge percentage on the battery, you can only do it inside the Toyota app. So that's it. You have that's to the register only way. it. Yeah. So yeah. Your, your phone has to be working wherever you are. So if you're on a road trip and you're trying to charge um, and you don't have a signal, I mean, that... Could be. I had to pay for this charge on this trip with an app. I wouldn't have been able to do it if I didn't have signal. So that's mm-hmm. a problem on its own. But some places you can charge with a credit card. Uh, so if you if you don't have this app, you're out of luck. Um, I would think most owners probably have the app. But why is this functionality? If you had a gas gauge in a gas car <laughs> that only worked on the app, yeah, you would yeah. not. That would not be acceptable. If every single other car on the market, every single other EV offers a state of charge percentage while it's charging, you know, and you don't, there's no reason for you to be the outlier. Agreed. Um, But you you did mention things about pricing. Um, There was some news recently about Ford dropping the price of their their F-150 Lightning by a significant chunk. Um, Do you have any insight or any, any, any... analysis to provide our listeners about why that might be or i mean not really it's it's odd because earlier this year they increased it by like yeah. a huge amount so it's like same 
I think it was this year, uh, maybe late last year. But I and I mean Same like, with the must, the Mustang Maquis as well. The prices went up by like 10, 15 grand in some cases. And now they've yeah. come down by like 10, 15 grand in some cases. What happened? The credit card bills came in and they're <laughs> like, "Oh god. We need this 5 month where we squeeze everybody." I don't know if it's if it's a case of whether they needed to generate some short-term profits and they saw that the Lightning people were going to buy the Lightning regardless of what it cost. Although that's not exactly true because a lot of people walked away from their deposits when they got the noticed that their vehicle was going to be so much more expensive. I'm sure Ford was able to sell those to the next customer. But again, you're kind of messing with customer goodwill at that point. Um, But also, this could be a result of at the factory, they figured out how to do things more efficiently. And that's dropped their costs. Or they were able to negotiate better deals with suppliers. Or maybe they've looked at, maybe, honestly, and this doesn't sound great, maybe they squeezed the early adopters as much as they can made the realization that they've reached their limit and now they're on to the next set of people who are going to buy the car and and they can't price it that high anymore. Okay, yeah, I think that's about fair. I think that's awful. Like, you you always think, like, early adopters get so excited about a product and then you realize that they've just been... They've just been taken advantage. Yeah, you, you pay right? a price, right? Like that's that's beyond what the average enthusiasts always pay a price for whatever they're enthusiastic about. I kind of think I want to talk. I want to change gears now and talk about another uh, automaker and another product that we just saw a a, a new image of. Do you mind me? Because I don't want to talk about this Toyota anymore. I think it's I don't kind think. Of, kind yeah, of it's, it's, I'm done with it. Are you excited to drive the Subaru version of it? No. <laughs> <laughs> You've canceled your booking with of it. I'm going to be honest. There are some vehicles where I don't drive them because I know how I will feel about them. Uh, okay. If I've had this experience in the Toyota, the Solterra is probably not going to be any better. And there's mm-hmm. there's no advantage. I mean, what's the point of me driving something if I'm if I know it's going to be mediocre? If I know it's not something I can recommend, I would prefer to drive vehicles where either I I, I don't have any experience with them before, or and you're excited or interested, in excited, what interested, exactly. or it's something that I think is important, or something that I would be able to recommend to a lot of buyers. That's the kind of car I want to drive. I want to get out of a car and be like, wow, you know, I think this makes a lot of sense for X, Y, and Z people. And, and that happened in the last electric car you drove, which I think was the Ionic Six. Yeah, but like with this, with the BZ, I get out of that car and. I can't think of a single buyer for whom this is better a better option than anything else that's out there. You know, just a desperate Toyota Toyota shopper. They just cannot. It's not. It's not a bad car, but it's it, it's not competitive. I guess is the best way to put it. So when everyone else's auto, when everyone else's EV is uh, is sold out, they're just going to have to, you know crawl over to Toyota and get these things that are still sitting well, on the lot. I mean, in a certain way, it shows the maturation of the EV environment, right? Because we're already in a world where there's so many crossovers out there that a good portion of them are just, you don't recommend them. They're like, they're out there. You can buy them if you want. There's nothing about them that's special. There's nothing about them that's going to make you say, oh, I wish I hadn't bought this, you know? But there's nothing, there's no reason for me to convince someone to put it on a test drive list. So now the EVs, they're no longer a novelty. We already have an EV now, <laughs> Where I get out of it and it's made no impression. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you could buy this if you want. You won't be, you, you won't be disappointed as long as you never drive any other EV. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's, yeah, I guess. Anyway, let's, okay. let's move on. Let's move on. I want to talk about this. Um, there was a, a press release I received from Hyundai. Oh, no. Now, Hyundai's been um, delivering all sorts of EVs, but the newest thing that they told us about is not an EV at all, or as far as I can tell. It's the new Santa Fe, which is their, I guess the best way to describe it is their mid-sized 
crossover. It sits between the Tucson and the Palisade, in which, in which, it's a bigger but not too big yeah. kind of SUV. Uh, my mother has one. That's her daily drive. And the Santa Fe, I think, used to be or is a fairly recognizable name in the in the Hyundai portfolio. But this new design, to me, it scares me. It is a big, boxy vehicle and from certain angles it looks very not anonymous what's the word i'm looking for it feels generic maybe yeah you see angles of other vehicles in there when i first saw it i'm like oh it looks like they just made a wagon a jeep wagoneer but put a hyundai badge on it and that's so opposite of what Hyundai has done with their designs in the past um, few generations. Yeah, this, right? this is going to be difficult to talk about because, you know, podcasting, not a visual medium. Um, but the, the the thing that gets me the most about this new Santa Fe is Hyundai is a company that has really hit a bunch of home runs when it comes to design. Uh, we, yeah, they've won a bajillion awards for them. We've talked on recent podcasts about how good the Santa Fe and the Elantra are for sedans and how they've made this big effort in sedans, even though no one's buying them, right? And and yet Hyundai is building these killer looking vehicles. Um, even if you don't like it, you do notice it. And yeah. their SUVs in general, they're not as extreme in terms of the chances that they take. But the Palisade is a good-looking vehicle. It, the, the Tucson is a relatively good-looking vehicle. Um, the, the Kona is, I think, yeah. another another attractive vehicle. It's, it looks different, yeah. Santa Fe is in that weird zone where pretty much all of those SUVs have a similar look. Like, it's hard to tell them apart in a parking lot. But now they've gone from that. Like, it, it was still, it was still a, it was still a Hyundai when you looked at it. Now, now when you look at this new model, as Sam, Sammy mentioned, it's like they took a bunch of different styling cues from other companies. Like, there's Wagoneer in there, there's Defender, the profile looks like the Atlas. Um, and then they just blended Ooh. them and they made this vehicle that doesn't link up to any of their existing styling cues or trends or, or personalities. And I just don't understand it. I I I don't think I think that I'm okay with the latter part of your statement in which they say that it when you in which you said it doesn't look like it it links up to other products in their portfolio to me that's okay the Ionic six looks like different than the Ionic five the Tucson looks different than the the Sonata and the the Kona looks different than a than a but they Tucson all have Hyundai elements. Sure, I feel yeah. like this new design has no Hyundai elements. This is like a new branch of the evolutionary tree. Okay. But the issue is, as we just discussed, the derivativeness of it is a walk backwards, is a step backwards. When Hyundai was somewhat of an uh, of a lesser known or maybe less popular brand, um, I mean, back in the day, Hyundai was only known for being kind of affordable, and they had these copycat designs. Yeah, very derivative looking vehicles in a number of segments. They were not. So they're going back to the roots. This is heritage. It's, That's what they're doing. It's right dangerous now. <laughs> though because if they successfully shook off that identity they successfully created a real identity and shook off the accusations that they were only capable of you know mimicking other styles and to build a vehicle that is so clearly i don't know so clearly not generated from within the framework of other hyundai vehicles something that stands apart to the point stands apart from what a Hyundai is now, but doesn't stand apart from the rest of the pack, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, yeah. I just don't understand it. I I, I, I feel like, oh, this they're thinking, oh, it's going to look rugged. It's going to look, you know, kind of squared off and aggressive in a way that we don't have in our, in our showroom. And maybe that's true, but that doesn't necessarily mean you needed that in your showroom. 
Yeah, I agree. This is uh, this is concerning to me, and we'll have to see what it looks like in person. But the the photos that they've sh- they've shared is just uh, it's a mess. I don't think this is this is a, this is a hit for them at all. And it's we saw a company do something similar recently with Toyota and the uh, with the Lexus. What is it? The TX. The TX, the yeah, TX, the Grand Highland, the Grand Highlander base. The TX and the like, GX are kind of derivative looking of other designs, partic- particularly I think Land Rover, um, but just in in that space in general, not a lot of family resemblance there. But this new Santa Fe like takes that and and really turns the dial up. Yeah, I agree. Um, that's all I want to talk about this week, though, Ben, because uh, we've got some interesting cars to talk about next week. Are you are you excited about? What we're talking about next week. What are we week? talking about next week? Well, I'm going to go to California and drive the new 2024 Ford Mustang. Oh, wow. Um, both the GT and the EcoBoost models. And uh, I can't wait to tell you all about those. I'm going to be, and, I'm going to be talking about the uh, Alfa Romeo. Um, what is it called? <laughs> the Alfa Romeo Giulia that, I, that I'm currently driving. And it's, yeah. it's the Estrema model, Sammy, which is like the look of the Quadrifoglio without the performance and I, I i'm kind of into it but there's a, okay there's a whole bunch of weird stuff <laughs> that's like happening with this car okay that i think it's going to be interesting to talk about i think it's going to be interesting to talk about as well now if you want to uh make sure you don't miss next week's episode the best thing you should do is subscribe to our podcast now the easiest way to do that is to go onto our website unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and once you're there there's a bunch of buttons at the top of the website that allow you to subscribe to the to the podcast or you can just go to your favorite podcast app and search for us unnamed automotive podcast and we'll show up and if you want to get in touch with us and uh, ask us about weird things that are happening with our cars or tell us about weird things happening with your cars um, you can do that by reaching out online there's a bunch of ways to do it on Instagram you can find me at hunting Benjamin Sammy's on the cesspool that is Twitter if Twitter's lights are still on and it's still a functional uh, the server farm is still running you can find him there at Sammy underscore ha like you're laughing you can email me the old-fashioned way Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com or you can reach out on the website. There is a contact form. You click it, you submit it, and we see it and everybody's happy. Yeah, everyone's happy. So long as you say something uh, not offensive to us, we'll be we'll I mean, I don't think we have to specify that. We've got the best listeners. We've got the best listeners out there. So we do have the best listeners. (laughs) I'm just worried about Twitter. Twitter is always scary. Well, I mean, you chose to be there. I can't help you there. But thank you for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.